Hello and welcome to here's Johnny's Reviews and my look at the Final Destination movies. Last week was the 18 year old Final Destination and my god has it been 18 bloody years. This week is a daily double, both parts 2 and 3 in one mega podcast. And I find it funny how this is called Final Destination, yet there are five of these movies. I guess Death isn't good as his job after all. Coming out 15 years ago and three years after the first movie. That, by the way, the lead in the original is killed off screen in this by a falling brick to the head. Really Hollywood, a falling brick to the head. The super paranoid Alex gets killed by a brick. Okay then. Anyway of a budget of $26 million and pulling in 46.9. Here it is, Final Destination 2. I saw this in a packed cinema opening weekend and loved this movie. I even laughed at some of the ridiculous deaths. Now, 15 years later, do I feel the same? Hmm. And I haven't saw this movie in a good 10 years. So, let's get on with this and Final Destination 2. Starring Ali Latter, AJ Cook, Michael Landes, James Kirk, Keegan Connor Tracy, Jonathan Cherry, and of course Tony Todd, directed by David Ellis. Uh, the plot: A teenage girl has a premonition of her death in a highway pileup. She stops this and saves a small group of people. However, death is stalking after them. Can she help them cheat death again, or are they all for his Sith? Sith, even. <laughs> so the movie opens up on a news report telling us it's one year since the events of the first movie and the crash of Flight 180. The camera pans around a bedroom as on a TV. The TV anchor man debates with a crackpot theorist about if death is an entity itself and is stalking you at every turn. The next day, we're introduced to our hero, Kimberly Corman, played by A.J. Cook of The Virgin Suicides, Wishmaster 3, True Calling and Criminal Minds. As her father, played by Andrew Early, of the Fifty Shades movies, fusses around her and she packs up her SUV for a trip to Daytona. Up walks her best friend, Shiana, played by Sarah Carter of Wishmaster 3, a series I may do soon, Skinwalkers, DOA, Dead or Alive, Falling Skies, and many other TV shows. She teases the dad about having whips and chains and all want to go to Daytona for the boys, the sex and the debauchery. With that, they drive off. As they do, the father notices a pool of transmission fluid coming from the SUV. Along the way, she picks up friend-zoned boys, Dano, played by Alejandro Ray of multiple TV shows, and Frankie, played by Sean Sipos of Lost Boys, The Tribe, movie I covered last year, check my archives, Texas Chainsaw, 3D, Vampire Diaries, and Melrose Place. Shock, horror, they're bloody stoners. Who would have thought that one in a teen horror movie? They're all stoners, because they're all teenagers and they're all stoners. That's how that works, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, sitting on the off-ramp, a bag lady comes up to the SUV to beg for cans or money. And just before she does, the bag breaks, spilling the contents of the bag all over the highway, causing all in the SUV to laugh. Oh, but Kim, because she's a good girl. Driving down the highway, Dano sparks up because, of course, he does, as he can't go five minutes without having another bloody joint. Unfortunately, there's a cop car behind Kim, so he throws the joint out the window, which hits Kate's car, played by Keegan Connor Tracy of 40 Days and 40 Nights, White Noise, Once Upon a Time, and The Magicians, catching the dead leaves on a windscreen wipers on fire. 
However, one downs of windscreen wiper fluid later, and the crew woman continues on without missing a beat on her cell phone. Please don't talk and drive or text, tweet, Snapchat, Instagram, or whatever the fuck you do nowadays, just concentrate on the bloody driving. As a cop car closes in on Kim, her engine warning light kicks in, as Kim wants to pull over, but Shiana tells her just to drive on. And with that, her father calls her to tell her she's leaking transmission fluid. As in a white van, a heavily pregnant Isabella Hudson, played by Justina McLeod, of six feet under, the call, the purge anarchy, finds creepers, and Jane the Virgin drives slowly and carefully as she rubs her bump. Up ahead of Kim is cokehead douchebag Roy, played by Jonathan Cherry of House of the Dead, Goon, and Wolf Cop. And of course, the sequel, Another Wolf Cop, how original is that name? With his car pumping out black smoke from his exhaust pipe. Finally, in a cop car, we meet state trooper Thomas Burke, played by Michael Landes of The New Ventures of Superman, Lois and Clark, Lakeview Terrace, 11 11 11, and Burlesque as he nervously drives behind an 18-wheeler loaded down with logs. One of the logs comes loose and several of them fall free, one smashing into the cop car and beheading Thomas immediately. Note, these are CGI logs as the real ones wouldn't bounce right. This causes a biker to skid off his bike and be pinned by his bike to a log, the biker being Eugene Dix, played by Terence. Carson of U571, multiple video games including God of War, he plays Kratos, and Star Wars Clone Wars. Rory flips his car multiple times and he is then T-boned by an 18-wheeler coming the other way. Kat smacks into a log, flips and gets crushed to death by her car. Up next is mother and son, Nora Carpenter, played by Linda Boyd of The Serpent Behaviour, Fast and Fuse Tokyo Drift, Sanctuary and Arrow, and her son Tim Carpenter, played by James Kirk of X-Men 2, she's the man and Dr. Doolittle 3. They die in an explosive death as they plough headfirst into a log after one of Tim's water bottles gets stuck under the brake. Kim's SUV flips multiple times, as up next for the chop is Evan Lewis, played by David Piocchio, I think that's pronouncing his name, of Disturbing Behaviour, I always know he did last summer. Alias vs Predator Requiem and Goon as his Transan uh, ploughs into the now empty 18 wheeler trailer in a fiery explosion, yet somehow he survives but is engulfed in flames but is quickly killed by a on fire 18 wheeler coming the other way, which takes out Kim. And wait, this trucker did not see this pile up and multiple explosions, even though there's like 10 or 15 explosions. Okay then. This snaps Kim out of her daydream, saying the bag lady, she stops the traffic, getting off the on-ramp, or off-ramp the hell it is, saving them all from an explosive death, and spots the Mount Abraham school bus chanting, pile up, pile up, pile up. These are the high school from the first movie. I also notice it's intersection 180 she stops at, as minutes later there's a crash. Trooper Burke uh, tries to get her to move before this happens, but she refuses, saying there's going to be a huge pile-up. Seconds later, it actually happens, as Burke saves her from another 18-wheeler, which takes out her SUV and indeed her three friends. Mental note, avoid all 18-wheelers at all costs. As the camera spins for a good goddamn minute, and what was it with the spinning camera in the early noughties? Kim 
cries on Burke's shoulders, or into his arms even. At the station, the chief tells Burke these people are the luckiest people on the planet, as Evan won the lottery a day before. And note, this whole pileup was based off a real pileup that happened in real life in 2002 in Georgia, and I find this thing in very bad taste. In less than a year, they made a movie of the pileup, really? In the waiting room, as the others impatiently wait for the release, Burke asks Kim how she knew what was going to happen, with her saying she felt unease just like one year earlier, and Alex Browning and Flight 180. It's here. Burke tells him Clear Rivers, played by Ali Latter, is still alive, living in a padded cell in a nearby nut house. Uh, notice how all the survivors have a horror director name, such as Mrs. Carpenter, just like in the original. Kim's dad shows up to take her home, and they're all released. Over coffee, Kim asks her dad if her mother had psychic powers. As she feels the survivors are still going to die, she has a feeling of dread and unease. First to die is a lottery winner, Evan, laden down by a useless technology, including an iMac. And by the way, he only won $250,000. How much is that going to last? I mean, he's buying iMacs and expensive jewellery and tie like that. Dear, oh dear. And spot the doll with which he almost trips over with one eye. A hint to his death. He opens his door to his messy apartment and throws spaghetti out the window. And then he uses the same pan to cook with, and that is just disgusting. Spot the hey written using fridge magnets as the H falls off and lands in his Chinese takeaway box. He then cakes the dirty pan in oil as death windbows around his apartment. He throws fish fingers, that's fish sticks, in a frying pan and throws a takeaway box in the microwave. Then, listening to his answer machine to everyone he ever knew, asking for cash, he checks out the goodies he's bought, including a flashy gold watch, a horseshoe diamond ring, which he drops down the garbage disposal unit, so he fishes it out, getting his hand stuck by the watch. Mm. The microwave sparks and then explodes, and then the pan catches fire, because of course he is. Because he's a fucking idiot. And like a twat, he knocks the on fire pan to the ground, sitting out in the trash by his front door. So, with the room on fire, and him still stuck, he panics, yet he somehow gets loose and grabs a fire extinguisher to try to put it out, but it doesn't work, because it's too hot for the fire extinguisher. So, he tries to jump out the window, but Death slams them all shut and locks them, so he smashes them and gets down the fire escape, uh, however the ladder sticks. So he jumps and slips on the pasta as a ladder slams into his eye in some terrible CGI. So that night, Burke looks up Alex Browning, finding out he died a chump's death by a falling brick. Really? A falling brick? For God's sake. As on TV, all the survivors watch the same news report. Note, these are real anchor people from the real local TV shows. Then they all hear about Evan's death. Much later that night, Kim looks up Claire Rivers, and well, she's been ever since Alex's death, several months earlier. The next morning, she drives to see her, and a doctor tells her that she must hand over her belt, her watch, necklace, cell phone, etc, etc, after going through the huge list of things that the uber-paranoid Claire insists on handing over, she is allowed to see her going down a long corridor and getting flashbacks of the awful Halloween resurrection, Kim finally is shown Claire's white padded cell. So, Claire went from power craze to just crazy in a few months. Poetic justice. <laughs> Kim 
uh, tells her she saved people, but death is after them as one has died already. And Claire coldly tells her she put them on death's list. And note, Claire is supposed to be 19, but Ali Latter is 26, looking every bit of it. However, Kim points out she was supposed to die last, not first. Claire spouts out, but that's backwards, and what the fuck? And Claire rants at her to notice the signs, then screams at her face to leave because she's next. Burke shows up at Kim's house to tell her all the survivors are meeting at his house that night, as Kim has a vision of birds flying at a window, and cut to Tim's death at a dentist's office, the smug Molly's boy quips if he wakes up with his pants unbuttoned, he ain't paying. As in the chair, a pigeon smacks into the window and smashes it. The dentist gives him gas because he's too scared of the needle. Meanwhile, in a waiting room, the fish tank is leaking and water is slowly approaching Nora, but she moves last second before it can electrocute her. Now gassed and having his mouth clamped open, Tim cannot move. The dentist leaves to deal with a pigeon that's smashed through the waiting room window. And why not have non shatter safety glass? After all, he's a high-rise flat, you stupid twat. Oh wait a minute here, this is bad writing, so hmm. He has plain windows. Back with Tim, a rubber blowfish lands in his mouth from the mobile above the seat because that's to calm down children apparently. Okay then. He slowly chokes on it. However, last minute, the dentist assistant takes it out of his mouth as Tim's mother has caught the bird and has tossed it back at the window, I think. Outside, Tim chases the pigeons. This scares them. They all scatter. One flies into a camera operator, causing him to drop a sheet of glass, crushing Tim as flat as a pancake. I'm not going to lie here, in a cinema, I laughed my ass off at this because this death is just simply ridiculous. Burke drives Kim home and out of nowhere, Claire shows up. How did she know where Kim lived and why did she live in that house if she has been in it for months and is super paranoid? I'll tell you why. She's a power junkie and has missed getting off in the power outs had and has now gone to latch on to Kim. Claire takes him to meet Bloodworth, again played by Tony Todd, in a very silent set of lambs looking basement set. He roasts Evan's body in front of them, so no funeral for him then. Also, he tells them a new life can mess with death's plan, and all of that, they can be saved if they follow the signs and look out for death's little plans. Anyway, at a gas station, Kim has a flash of someone crashing into a lake and then drowning. Claire pulls out of her ass, the pregnant woman drives a van, so she's nixed and she must be saved. A. How does she know she drives a van? And B. She's all getting off in this whole thing about death and the power of her death again, isn't she? I mean, she's a fucking power junkie. And C. For someone who's heavily paranoid and death is after every turn, Claire takes many, many risks in this. Back at the station, Burke, Kim and Claire find out where Isabella stays and he places an APB out on her and just leaves to go back to his flat. At that night, at Burke's flat, the survivors arrive, with cokehead Rory almost getting stuck in the lift doors. The survivors don't want to listen to Claire's bullshit or Kim's warnings as Kim hands out Nokia cell phones. Claire starts spouting out more bullshit. So much so, Eugene calls her out on this until he's almost beheaded by a flying canoe. Because Burke is an outdoorsman type. He has mountain bikes on the wall and a canoe stuck to his ceiling for some reason. And various other stuff. So Claire then tells them they're all staying in this flat for their own good. As later that night, Isabella is pulled over. Back at the flat, everyone has duct taped everything to everything else. 
Uh, Nora says she's ready to die and be with her boy. Eugene, still not believing, leaves with Nora. Cokehead sees a shadow of a man with hooks and they all scatter to save Nora. In the lift, Nora's hair gets stuck in a basket of hooked hands. Why the hell was a guy carrying a basket of hooked hands with him? Oh, for God's sake. And she panics after Burke phones her to warn about the hooked-handed man. Can we say Candyman? Nora, now free, has her head stuck in the lift doors and is getting hung. Claire and Kit show up to help her, but Death has shot out the control panel, so the lift continues up and cuts her head clean off, right in front of Eugene. This freaks him out so much that he takes Burke's gun, holds him at gunpoint and then points it at his head, pulling the trigger, but none of the bullets fire. Claire and a blood salt Kim beg to find Isabella. With that, they all pile into Kat's SUV. Is that smart? Really? All the survivors in one place at one time? That didn't bode well the first time. And head to the jail where Isabella's being held. And too bad, her water breaks and she's rushed to the hospital by the lakeside. In Kat's SUV, all the survivors tell their stories as to how they cheated death due to the events of the previous movie. And what does it all mean? Bad Hollywood hack rating, that's what. As Claire points out, this is Des doing a major clean sweep, as they all should have died a year ago if she didn't get off the bloody plane. Because she's a power mad junkie. Anyway, with Isabella and a cop are rushing to the hospital in her white van, Kat speeds down the road and almost crashes into the van. Swerving off the road, Kat crashes into a field and is pinned into her seat by a fencing post. The van spins off the road, stopping in a hedge. The cop tries to leave Isabella alone, but radios in after she goes into labour, and he radios in that the SUV has crashed at Route 180. Kat's SUV stops with a plastic pipe, smashing through the back window, almost impaling Kat. Eugene has somehow been crushed in a lung or something like that, and is now dying, even though he was nowhere near the pipe at anyway. Cat gets a farmhand to help her out of the SUV, however he can't move it, so he wanders off to get help. Cokehead saves him from getting run over by a bloody news van, which gets there in seconds by the way, which leaks petrol into the pipe stuck into Cat's SUV because it bumps over a rock and it's now emptying this petrol tank and this is bloody ridiculous. The firemen show up to cut Cat free, however, this sits off the SUV's airbags, splatting her head against the plastic pipe. Up next is Cokehead, who dies after the petrol from the news van reaches Cat's cigarette and blows a barbed wire fence, cutting him into three. Again, I laugh my ass off at this ridiculous death. Because it's just utterly shite. Burke gets a call to tell him Isabella is now at Lakeside View Hospital. At the hospital, Isabella is now in full labour and is told her baby has a cord wrapped around its neck and indeed is choking. As on the road, Kim gets a flash of someone being choked. Eugene, who is now somehow alive, he died in a field. How the hell does he in the bloody thing alive? Oh, God. In the same hospital as Isabella, he is stuck in bed with a ventilator, which death is now after him. As it slams shut the door, moves the bed, closes all the vents and releases gas into the room. It then pulls away the ventilator from the bed, turning it off. Also pulls away the emergency button because Death's a bastard apparently. Claire and Cole arrive in hospital to find some doctor that may or may not kill one of them. Anyway, that's unclear. Isabella gives birth as Eugene is all but 
dead as death has stretched his breathing tubes to the maximum. Suddenly, now the baby is born, Eugene's machine kicks in and he starts to breathe as normal. However, Kim gets a flash that Isabella would have been saved all along. Claire goes into Eugene's room to tell him it is all over. As she does, the gas mixes with the air and it causes an explosion to kill them both in a huge fireball. And how the hell does that one work? I mean, air and... oh, whatever. <sighs> Kim tells Burke she must die to save him, so steals a van and drives into the lake. He dives in to save her, however, death doesn't want the door to open and she dies. As she does, she has her... Life flashed before her eyes, and then, in the order in which they would have and could have died in the pileup, she's brought back to life by the doctor that could have, would have, should have killed her. God only knows, I went cross-eyed here, because this movie is fucking ridiculous, especially this fucking hack ending, because surprise, surprise, this thing had multiple reshoots and multiple rewrites because this movie sucks. Ugh, God. Kim is now alive and dating Burke. And how's that one work? He's in his 30s and she's only 16, 17 or 18. What a fight she is. Uh, months later, at a barbecue, the farmhand, which Coke had saved, dies in a barbecue explosion as credits roll. So, that was Final Destination 2. Still as funny as the original, with ridiculously hilarious over-the-top deaths and some piss-poor acting, chiefly by a latter. However, this isn't as fresh as the first one, so I'm going to give this thing a 4 out of 10. All the latter was totally unneeded, and that forced a bit with all the pileup survivors supposed to die one year earlier was simply not needed. This is just a pathetic excuse to cash grab. Anyway, stay right there for part 3. So, here it is, the start of these movies losing steam. Final Destination 3, coming out three years after Part 2, with extensive reshoots and rewrites, because they all did. Here is the movie about a psychic camera, a Panasonic DMC-FX8, and the deaths of some really dumb teenagers, with a budget of $25 million and pulling $54 million with a schnazzy pick-their-fate feature on the DVD. It's Final Destination 3! Thankfully not in 3D, as I hate 3Ds. Oh fuck, the fourth one's in 3D. Bollocks! Anyway, on with the show. Starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Ryan Merriman, Kim Lameshi, Alex Johnson and Jesse Moss. Directed by James Wong. The plot, a high school student has a premonition of a deadly rollercoaster crash, killing most of her class. She saves the few she can, but now death is after them. Can she save them using her camera, or are they all for death's ride? The movie opens up on an empty fairground and shots of an old-timey automated fortune teller that picks death, unsurprisingly. Finally, after two and a half minutes, can we say padding, uh, of the world's slowest fucking titles, we see people on one of them vomit rocket thingies, you know, those vertical rollercoasters that shoot straight up and straight down and then bounce you around for a couple of seconds, they bloody things I can't stand. Yeah, one of them. We then introduce to our hero, Wendy Christensen, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead of Black Christmas Remake, check my archives, I've done this two years ago, Death Proof, Die Hard 4 and 5, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, The Thing Remake, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and my god, her career has to get a nosedive. Ew, dear, dear, dear. 
as she takes pictures of her friends having fun on all the rides with her new Panasonic camera. I wonder if Panasonic paid much for this damning product placement. I mean, a death camera that shows your death? Really, Panasonic? Did you think I went through? Dear, oh dear. Her friends are Kevin, played by Ryan Merriman of Halloween Resurrection, The Ring 2, that's a remake, and Pretty Little Liars. His girlfriend, Carrie, played by Gina Holden of Butterfly Effect 2, Aliens vs Predator Requiem, Saw 3D, and the deliciously awful Sandsharks, which I may cover soon. Last but by all means least, her boyfriend, Jason, played by Jesse Moss of Ginger Snaps, The Uninvited, Tucker and Dale vs Evil, and the truly terrible extraterrestrial. Turns out this whole thing is an award for graduating from McKinley High School, class of 2005. And note, I says 2005 and not 2006 because this thing was reshot to the Harkin High Hills and was delayed for a year. Anyway, they'll get a bite to eat. Wendy, being in charge of the yearbook, must take pictures of all the students, including Paris Hilton and Nicole Ritchie wannabes, Ashley played by Shane Simmons of the It 1990, John Tucker Must Die, Good Luck Chuck, and See No Evil 2, and her BFF, Ashlyn, played by Crystal Lowe of Insomnia, Black Crystal 2006, Wrong Turn 2, and Primeval TV show. Up walks Wendy's bratty little sister, Julie, played by Amanda Crew of Sex Drive, The Haunting in Connecticut, and Charles St. Cloud even. She's flanked by her posse, Perry, played by Maggie Ma, and Amber, played by Alexstasia Sanders. She's your typical bratty, spoiled little sister. Up next for the photo is Lewis, played by Texas Battle. Oh, really? Texas Battle? Oh, dear God. Of Wrong Turn 2, Dragon Ball Evolution, and of course, the bold and the beautiful, because he's a bloody TV actor and a bad one at that. He's your typical cocky loudmouth jock as he smashes the bell on the test your strength machine three times in a row and spot or rather hear Tony Tons cameo as the voice of the devil as the old cue to ride the must ride ride the devil's flight and note this fairground and roller coaster is a real fairground at Playland in Vancouver Canada except some of the loops are added CG up walks sleazy Frankie Cheeks. Really? Frankie Cheeks was bend overtaken? Oh, for God's sake. Played by Sam Easton of the Butterfly Effect. And that's it. With his digital camera annoying Ashley and Ashlyn filming shots of their arse and asking to flash their titties. Because he's all about titties and flashing the arse, this sad perverted twat. You know, typical virgin horny geek shit. As he's graduated two years earlier, the fucking perv. God, it makes him, what, 20 and there's 18? Jesus, jinkies. So, the whole class pile onto the killer roller coaster, including ill at ease control freak Wendy. As in the queue, also is Ern, played by Alex Johnson of So Weird, an instant star, and multiple other TV shows, and Ian, played by Chris Lameshi of Ninja Snaps, Melito Eye, Frankenstein Theory, and multiple TV shows. They try to tell Wendy it's all perfectly safe and the roller coaster is perfectly fine. However, it doesn't work and she still feels ill at ease and refuses to sit up front so Kevin pulls out a coin to flip and he's stuck with her at the back. Frankie, ever a little creep pervert, runs in and sits behind Ashley and Ashlyn 
forcing Wendy and Kim to sit at the very back of the roller coaster. Frankie has his camera in hand, even though you're supposed to hand over all cameras and cell phones and to be stored away safely, not left in your bloody hand. As the roller coaster leaks fluid, a ride operator tells Wendy to hand over her camera. However, being a lazy ass teenager, he lets Kevin put it in his pockets because he's a fucking lazy teen. Kevin finds some gum on his seat, which Wendy laughs off, and they're off for the ride of their life, or in this case, afterlife. As the coaster rises, Wendy feels more and more at her unease, as Frankie pulls at his camera. So the ride then begins. And note, the cast had to ride this thing 26 times in one night to get these shots. Frankie has his camera knocked out of his hand and it wraps itself around the track. The cart then hits it and this loosens the already leaking pipe as it knocks the cart out of control. All the seats unlock and the wheels start to fly off because reasons. First to die is Jason and Carrie as their cart just flies off the track. Then the Ashlands are next who die off screen and so does Frankie. Up next is Lewis, who flies out of his seat, but managed to hold on even after three corkscrews at top speed. Yeah, bullshit that one, but I don't give a fuck how strong and tough you are, you can't defy gravity. He finally lets go, but grabs onto Kevin, desperately trying to save himself, but he's let go and smacks at full speed into a post. This loosens up a pipe. The track comes undone, which causes the car to stop upside down for some reason. This takes out Urn and Ian as they can no longer hold on. Finally to die is Kevin as he's halved into as he tries to get back into his seat because he rocks this cart back and forth which moves even though it has no wheels and has to go backwards at full speed. As I said he's halved into by the pipe that Lewis knocked over. This leaves Wendy all alone to die as the train falls off and she's splatted into the rails. This snaps out of her nightmare and she freaks the fuck out. Kevin leaves with Wendy and she's freaking out so much so the manager comes over to ask if she's okay. It's here she screams, it's going to crash and I'm going to die. This spot of course pisses off the cocky annoying jock and he starts a fight with Kevin for no fucking reason. Erin is somehow smacked in the face and this pisses off Ian he also starts a fight with Lewis. The Ashleys get off along with the uber pervert Frankie as the manager throws them all off. The ride starts and crashes killing all on board. But wait, if this was all sparked off by Frankie dropping his camera and he got off, how the fuck did this thing crash? Days, weeks or months later, it doesn't actually say, it shows Wendy tearfully looking at the class memorial of candles and flowers as death wind blows out a candle under glass and how the hell does that one work? It's a sealed glass dome with a candle lit inside it. Okay then. Kevin sees her but she runs off after dumping all her school stuff in the trash as she's leaving town to stay in New York. He chases after her and tries to get her to go to the graduation ceremony but she's having none of it and coldly tells him if Jason and him weren't friends and Kerry and her weren't friends they wouldn't even hang out together. She even tells him she doesn't even like him. So walking away in the pissing rain, everyone gives her a side eye, including her little sister. The Ashleys try to be nice to her to invite her to a tanning bed session. But Wendy just balls up number and throws it in the trash. As the two goths, Ian and Ern, mock 
The Ashleys for being nice. Kevin tries again to reach out to Wendy by saying to her this all happened before someone had permissions of death. Twice, in fact. But she's having none of it until he tells her the story of Flight 186 years earlier. And right there, they have fucked up their timeline again, as they did in Part 2. The events of Part 1 is over the course of a year. Part 2, instead of being three years later, is a year later. Therefore, Part 1 can't be over a year. Now, this is six years later. Okay, then. This is all fucked up. Still, she still doesn't want to listen. And she just drives off in a mood. At the tanning beds, it's a toasty time for the Ashleys. Back with Wendy, packing up her stuff to leave town forever, Julie has a hissy fit at her for stealing her charm bracelet. And it's right here her control freak uber bitch sister, Wendy, breaks down in tears asking for help, saying she feels guilty over Jason, Jason's death months earlier. She even begs Julie to move with her to New York. Julie, feeling guilty, hands over the charm bracelet and just walks away. Wendy is about to hand over her magic death camera, but not before charging it and looking over the pictures she has saved on it. Back with the It Girls. At the tanning salon, as the easily distracted manager takes a personal call on his shitty cell phone, the girls strip naked and tan as Ashlyn places a beer back in the window and locks the front door. Wendy crying over the pictures feels death wind so she downloads the pictures onto her iMac as the girls set up the tanning booths the manager is locked out after his tube of suntan lotion shockingly fails to keep the back door open which locks him out because you had a piece of wood you twat Ashlyn tampers with the thermostat in the room which heats up the beds Wendy has more ill feelings and a psychic vision of something the two it girls now Tan shaking their ass to red hot chili peppers roller coaster of love. Ashley has left her slushy in the room, which drips water onto the heat control panel, shorting it out. This slowly rises the temperature, cooking the girls. Wendy notices in the frankly terrible picture she's taking that Ashley and Ashlyn are screaming in agony in an orange light. Wendy calls to warn them, but it's too late. Wind's death has knocked over a shelf and locks them both in the booth as they're roasted alive. And then they just simply burst into flames because humans burst into flames, you know. Mm. Is this even possible? I don't remember actually tanned before, but wouldn't it be like emergency things to stop this from happening? Okay then. At the It Girls joint funeral, because of course I have a joint funeral, Ian is kicked out by saying life isn't fair and is taken out by Kevin, closely followed by Ern. Frankie has a crisis of self, saying it was his fault that its girls had died. If he wasn't such a stud, then the girls wouldn't feel a need to impress him and tan and be skinny and dress provocatively and have dyed hair, etc, etc. And please tell me he gets it bad in the end. As in the car park, Lewis ever being a fucking dickhead, tells Kevin to bring a PSP to the next funeral so he'll have something to do as this is boring as fuck. And what an asshole. Self-absorbed douchebag. And this movie is so 2005-6, what with iPods, Motorola flip phones, PSPs and the terrible fashion. You know, those hideous velour tracksuits and thongs. <laughs> Wendy calls Kevin to tell him she's at Jason's grave, then tells him she doesn't feel Jason's spirit, but she still feels death all around her. She then 
shows him a picture of President Lincoln with a line through his head saying that's how he died. This is all getting into omen territory for my taste here and I finished it covered two years ago. Check out my archives. Anyway, he doesn't want to listen to her rantings until she shows him the pictures of Jason and the girls and how they all died. At a drive through Wendy and Kevin pour over Frankie's picture to figure out how he's going to die because she thinks he's next. Spot the beer truck from the second movie in the background. Said beer truck backs up too close and pins Wendy and Kevin to the drive through wall. As a delivery truck with no driver heads their way plowing through traffic and yet it swerves to miss a car. Who kidding? Kevin smashes the windshield just in the nick of time as the truck ploughs straight into the back of the pickup truck sending his engine flying through crushing the head of the driver ahead of them in a queue which just so has to be Frankie. Handy that as he drops his ridiculous mud flap girl icon thing he won at the fair. At Wendy's, they pour over the pictures trying to find out who is next. Up next is Lewis, who is where else but in a bloody gym, you typical muscle-bound jock idiot. Wendy and Kevin show up, but of course he doesn't want to listen. By the way, he's 30, playing 18. What is it with Hollywood and not casting the age of the character? Hmm? I mean, no wonder there's so much teen suicide in America as they see these well-built guys in their 20s and 30s playing teenagers. Also, while I'm at Hollywood, stop photoshopping every single photograph of near-perfect models, making them too goddamn motherfucking skinny. Keep fucking realism, Jesus Christ. Anyway, enough of the rant, on with the movie. As Lewis refuses to listen to Kevin, he rants and raves about how he's going to be the best American football player ever, working out fast and hard, as his other equally douchey teammates grunts and curses the rival team because it's all testosterone-fueled shite. One of the idiot linebackers punches the punch bag, i.e. a stuffed bear with the rival team's shirt on it. He knocks off a claw which flies into the a teammate's face, bouncing off his face, hitting the real cross swords which almost cuts Lewis' head clean off, but it misses last second. So the ever cocky Lewis screams at Kevin, I just win, that's all I have to do is win, and I'm never going to die, fuck you death, and pulls on the weights one final time, which smash into his head, crushing it like a ripe grape. Up next to die is the Goffs. Wendy and Kevin head to the hardware store where they work at, as Ian uses a nail gun to kill pigeons. Ern, of course, doesn't want to listen, and Ian straight up starts to mock them, as Wendy and Kevin try to warn them they are next. Wendy feels death wind around her, even though every one of the fans in the store are turned off. And note, this is actually a real hardware store, and it's actually Chris Lamechi driving a Fort Worth truck, which took him two weeks to learn how to drive. So while cleaning up, Ian still refuses to listen, so Death sets up his death, first by spilling birdseed, then dropping a box of 9-inch nails, which loosens a chain, which somehow knocks the box of nails onto a neighbouring forklift, which starts up and knocks over blue fluid. As this is happening, Ian is playing with the buzzsaw. The unmanned forklift continues on, knocking over hammer rack, which just happens to put it in gear, and raises the forklift up, which continues through the rack. As Ian is still mocking them, Death sends a forklift into some ladders, which knocks over fencing posts 
onto Ian, but he's saved last second by Wendy. As she Superman dives to save him, she knocks down sheets of drywall, which pins her, Ian and Kevin down. So Death takes Erin by filling her head with nails from the nail gun. Kieran. Up next is Kevin. However, a mad and grief-stricken Ian is now stalking Wendy. At her home, Julie takes the good luck charm bracelet and heads on out. Wendy notices on one of the many pictures she's taken that the person wearing the charm bracelet is next. Wendy calls Kevin to warn him to stay away from anything flashy and too bad he's at the town's 300th anniversary firework display. Wendy races to save Kevin, however Ian is chasing her in her in his van. A now paranoid Kevin runs around a fate trying to stop any and all fireworks from going off. Okay then. As Wendy has found Julie and her posse, Death wants his victim, so sets it all in motion, first knocking a cannonball loose, which moves the firework display trailer that spooks a horse with fireworks, which gets loose running wild. It drags Julie by the neck as its peg and rope came loose with the horse. Note, Amanda Crew actually broke her hand when the stunt went wrong as the horse bolts. Once the cops have calmed it down, you actually hear her bone snapping in the movie. The horse bolts again as more fireworks goes off. However, Kevin saves her last minute by cutting the rope before she's dragged into a lawnmower. The horse isn't done yet, however, as it impales Perry with a flagpole, killing her dead. Up next is Kevin, however, Julie, Julia rather, saves him from an exploding barbecue. Up walks Ian and follows him to the first aid tent, spouting out how Wendy is next. He then screams at her, she killed Erin, and he's not dying as it skipped him. He is invulnerable. As fireworks fill the air, death has other plans. First knocking over the fireworks cannon, which somehow all miss Ian, even though they're about 30 feet in front of him. Ian has another rant saying he's invincible. The cherry picker then lands flatting him like a pancake, and he dies giving Wendy the finger. Five months later, in a subway in New York, Death still wants Wendy as she's on train 081, which in a mirror is 180. The ever paranoid Wendy tries to leave the train but can't as football fans pile in and wouldn't you know her little sister just so happens to be on board too. Also on the train is Kevin. Love, you are fucked! Because that's now three times all of the survivors been at one place at one time. Yeah, she's completely fucked. The train derails after a rat chews the wires. Kevin is sucked out and crushed by the train in the wall. Up next to die is Julia as she's sent flying into a pole. Finally, Wendy is run over by a subway train coming the other way. But oh no, it's another psychic flash. But it's all too late. Death is now in control and there's nothing she can do. Fade to black as credits roll. God, this is a long one. Whew. So, that was Final Destination 3. The formula is wearing a bit thin now, and the death setups are becoming bloody too long and too ridiculous. There's just no fun left in this series anymore, and I just couldn't wait for this thing to end. This thing dragged over. This is an hour and 28 minute movie, but it felt like a two and a half hour movie. God, the filler. The... Bloody, oh my god, this thing is going to get a piss poor 2 out of 10, it is just dire. Unfortunately, Hollywood saw money and made part 4 in 3D, and how I hate 3D movies, especially mid noughties 3D. Anyway, 
Come back next week for the final destination in 3D. Then the following week for Final Desperation 5. March is musicals such as Rocky Horror Picture Show and Little Shop of Horrors. April is adult animation such as South Park and Beers and Butthead. So don't forget to leave a like, comment and subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod or email me with suggestions to Reviews at gmail.com. Check out my other horror franchise podcast of Psycho, Blade, Underworld and more. Also, check out my solo horror podcast of Aliens, Scream, Donnie Darko and many, many more. And a bye-bye. Oh, and one more thing. Never scare a flock of pigeons. You never know. Death might be after you.